0: Welcome to Have You Seen This, the world's only podcast about obscure, overlooked, and misbegotten visual media. All discussions will be spoiler-heavy. You have been
1: warned.
2: you seen this it's jen
1: and tim back again
2: back again we got a third tonight
1: a third wheel
2: we thought we were gonna lose him um our friend uh a few days ago went beyond the veil uh he tampered in god's domain uh he knew not what he had wrought um he had a an incident of severe drug-induced psychosis but he's back and And, like we're gonna use
1: that yeah it's perfect let's work with that
2: Absolutely. Um, it is, of course, our friend, Mike Rosen, Bitter Corella on Twitter. That's uh, Bitter Corella, two L's in Corella, if you want to read the story of his psychedelic voyage, which I recommend. How's it going, Mike?
3: Doing well. I'm glad to be back. Uh, thanks for delaying the recording because I couldn't record last week since I was scared of ghosts. <laughs>
1: I mean, I think a healthy fear of ghosts is normal. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to write I that mean, off completely.
2: You yeah. laugh, but um, a while back I had Mike on to talk about uh, the Raggedy Ann and Andy musical, and that was legitimately re-traumatizing for him. So I took a lighter touch this time, and um, we delayed the episode. <laughs> but now we're very gratified to have Mike with us because he is an encyclopedia of horror film knowledge. And we have a really fun horror comedy tonight. Uh, I'll throw it to the both of you. Which one of you wants to tell us about what we're talking about?
1: Uh, Yeah, this is 2006's Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon. And like Jen pointed out, it uh, it is a comedy. It is sort of a mockumentary slasher movie. And the reason that I know about it is because... When I went to UCLA for my undergrad in uh school of theater, film and television, there's a phenomenal uh charismatic actor by the name of Nathan B- Basil, who is the uh lead and the killer in this. And it is a- Oh,
2: he's from our alma mater? I didn't know that. Oh.
1: Yeah, yeah. He he was uh he was an incredible presence at uh TFT, went on to Juilliard, uh you know, then went on to do this. I Got to meet him at a uh, horror convention uh, a few years after and got to, you know, a to him about uh, just like how great he was to watch. He had um, this one great trick, this head flip thing that he did where he, just like getting worked up about something, he grabbed the back of his head, throw himself forward and do a front flip. Just <laughs> like <laughs> this completely unprompted thing, but it's, it's just dynamite to see in a play. Um, yeah, unless it's one of those, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, Shakespearean and, tragedies, but whatever.
2: Well, of course, he uh, deployed that to great effect in Ibsen's The Doll's House. Of
1: course, yes. Yeah. So it really brings it all together. But yeah, uh, I was always a fan of his um, when you know he was an undergrad, so it's great to see him in this. It's on me for um, taking 14 years to get around to reviewing it, though. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but,
1: you know, we've all got our flaws. Yeah,
2: and the... The interesting thing about him that I've noticed is that he did this movie where he took the lead and um, then he appears to have gone on to work in post-production and um, as a post-production supervisor on things like uh, something like Ice Road Truckers or something like that. But he has several credits of that nature. However, there is apparently a sequel to Behind the Mask in development. I, and uh, his name is attached.
1: Yeah, and I cannot wait for a sequel to this. I mean, it's one of those things that because it's been so long gestating, I mean, I've been waiting for a Red Dwarf movie for about 15 years now that I'm, not, I'm trying not to get my hopes up about. But just the way that this movie ends, yes, it sets itself up for so many like rich opportunities for sequels.
2: A hundred percent. Yeah, Yeah,
1: because and and just to effuse about, you know, not only my uh, fan of Nathan Basil, I think the story in this is great. I think the uh, script in it is great. I love the way it's you know directed and the way it all comes together. Uh, this is a movie that really it it reminds me what I love about horror movies.
2: Yeah, you can't get a better endorsement than that. Um, Mike, you had not seen this before. So um, why don't you give us kind of a capsule summary of uh, what you thought of it?
3: Sure. So, yeah, this was my first time watching Leslie Vernon. uh, Sorry, Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon. I have heard of it, though. Um, It's been recommended to me a few times, so it was a good chance to finally see it. And the basic story is it is, like Tim said, a mockumentary. Uh, This film crew of, I think, grad students they are, are doing a documentary about uh, Leslie Vernon, who is planning to be the next big deal uh, slasher killer. And he's got it all planned out. He's got his, um, you know, he's chosen his victims and he's going to make his appearance on, was it ho- either Halloween or the anniversary of his supposed death? Um, yeah. You know, it, it, you know he's going to do his revenge because at a time in the past, townspeople supposedly killed him. And, but he's back. And um, and uh, the whole movie is kind of like them following him around. It's, it's very, very much like Man Bites Dog, except good. uh uh, but yeah this is it's it's a very it's a loving homage to the slasher genre and I have to say that I kind of going into this I kind of thought like well I mean everything that needs to be said about slashers has already been done with like Scream and um Mm -hmm. Wes Craven's new nightmare I mean what else are we going to say about them and um I, I don't know that it says a lot of new stuff but it is a lot of fun and it really does kind of take apart slasher movies in a way that, you know, the people involved w- understood the genre and are making it for people who are fans of the genre, which makes it go a long way.
1: Yeah, it, it takes a lot of the tropes that we're familiar with and then uses them to uh, I, I, it exploits them to 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 great um, use to, to great effect. And it isn't. Um, it doesn't have contempt for its audience or contempt for its source material. Like Mike says, it is a loving uh, sort of parody or send up of a lot of these slasher tropes. But it does them in a way that's like it's knowing, but without being uh, like cynical about it.
3: Yeah, it's a it's a it's a clever movie that is content to be clever and not constantly remind you that it's
1: clever. <laughs> that's a good way of putting it. One of the things that I like about it from the very outset of it because. Like Mike explained in the summaries, that we are kind of taking on a documentary um, uh, approach, following the uh, the gestation of this new serial killer. But in the uh, documentary that this uh, grad student Taylor establishes, um, she she already sets up the world as this is a world where uh, Jason Voorhees exists, Freddy Krueger exists, Mike Myers, and like the Chucky doll. Like those are all like <laughs> cultural touchstones that people are like, oh yeah, I know about what happened at Camp Crystal Lake, and I know that you know Mike Myers came back after twenty years, and and all this other stuff. So already, you're.
2: Do you know how much I would kill to see an episode of Frontline about <laughs> the Chucky e. doll manufacturer?
1: Yeah, <laughs> that would be rad. Yeah. Anyway, I'm so sorry. So I think ahead. it's great, and also if you watch the credits at the end, um, it's it's funny because there's a lot of sort of b-roll of her going around doing her like inter- interview stuff and she she's on elm street and uh she's she's this sees this one guy like taking out his garbage and she's like excuse me sir do you know uh, about fred and then like he just slams the door and <laughs> that guy that guy is, yeah that and that actor is kane Hodder. yes yeah, yeah. exactly So just in this like <laughs> one little cameo so yeah it is for people who who know about the slasher genre and enjoy it. And this is us going along for the ride of let's meet a new slasher and learn about the, the how of it. it Cause they do get into that. They're like, he's not going to explain like the why of it. Like, you know, they have the reason for it, but this is like, this is how we do what we do. And uh, Nathan Basil as you know, Leslie Vernon has this really um, like loose, almost improvisational approach to the character where like, he just doesn't take it seriously. It's just kind of, it's, it isn't just a performance from the actor, it's like a performance from the character. It's like, I'm putting on a show for you, because this is all about showmanship.
3: Yeah. He does have a pretty amazing charisma in this movie, I have to say. Yeah. Because, you know, he is he is kind of this, like he said, kind of this jokey bro sort of guy, but mm-hmm. it's the sort of characterization that I could see very easily getting grating and he never does you kind of like him the whole time even when he's like yeah. even when he just gets
1: right into murdering people so <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah you spend a lot of time with him you get to know him you know you meet his pet turtles <laughs> and,
3: and, this, and you know what and he doesn't it, and it's and it is and it's funny because he's not playing him like superficially charming like a psychopath mm-hmm. he's like genuinely charming in this movie
1: yeah he's a guy who's excited about the source material he's a guy who's excited about his being a serial killer <laughs> Because, like, even yeah. when they, like, go to meet his friend later and, like, they go over, like, all this lore about it and just, like, how he idolizes, like, you know, how, how they refer to them, like, you know, Jay and Fred and Mike.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the um, his mentor is um, played by the late Scott Wilson, who is one of my favorite actors. Um, probably broke first when he appeared in uh, in Cold Blood. Uh, the film adaptation of that, um, then went on to a long career. And one of my favorite performances of his is um, the cult movie by William Peter Blatty, The Ninth Configuration. Um, He became one of my favorite actors Hmm. in that. So it was really nice to see him in this.
1: Yeah. And he's got a a great character in this too, because he's, yeah, like sort of a, because as we learn later, he's more of an established veteran. He's, you know, one of the like 60s era slashes where it's like, oh, it's all about the body count. Like we didn't have any of this, like, you know, flashy stylistic stuff like like they're doing now where, you know, they really got to dress it up. It was just, you know, kill a lot of people and then disappear.
3: There um, <laughs> Now, something I noticed, and I, I didn't uh, look into this too closely, but on the Wikipedia page, it uh, says that um, that actor plays Eugene slash Billy, uh, with Billy being a link to uh, Black Christmas, Which makes me wonder if he is because they never mention who he killed or anything. Just that Mm -hmm. yeah, like it was about quantity. So I I'm not sure if he's supposed to be the killer from Black Christmas in this movie.
1: That that would be an awesome detail. Yeah, if that's true, that's that's just another cool thing about this. Because
3: we assume Black Christmas as well is an actual thing that happened in this in this universe. Yeah, at this
1: point, like it's all it's all legit. And yeah, Black Christmas is like. I don't want to say if it's like the first slasher movie, but I mean, it is like one of the originals that kind of set the tone. Yeah.
2: Does that mean that Driller Killer also happened in this universe?
1: Absolutely. Uh, New York. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. New York is exactly what you think it is in this world. <laughs> the, uh, the, the
3: Rockabilly Killer from Slumber Party Massacre 2 is a
1: real thing as well. But so, yeah, but, you know, never really caught on. It was just too goofy after a while. <laughs> But go on, I didn't... bet
2: that um in this universe the um the guy who makes um weird mannequins and tourist trap, like he's a, the real deal.
3: Oh shoot, that guy rules. Yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> I can't yeah, remember like... that actor though. What what's Wasn't it Herman name? Munster? No, it's not um it's not Fred Gwynn. It's uh yeah, I mean, God damn it. <clears throat> Norman Bates has got to be
1: a real guy in this universe too.
2: Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, um, like that's Chuck that's... Connors. But the, thing,
3: the thing that kind of throws me is the fact that Chucky is real because <laughs> he's kind of the odd one out that makes me think well does that mean like leprechaun is real in this universe I mean how, how far are we going so that
1: that, that might be a little um, you know neo is telekinetic in the matrix kind of thing might be, <laughs> that might be a bridge too far but <clears throat> and that is just a one-off line so you know maybe you can sort of you know dismiss that if you want but everything else up until then yeah I think it's great although I mean if you wanted to take like even a you know, sort of rational, like Sherlock Holmes approach to it, maybe, you know, the whole, what we see about a quote unquote killer doll is all stagecraft. Like maybe there's just some serial killers like, yeah, I I pretended to use a doll to do it.
3: Yeah, that's a very good point because in this, uh, when Leslie Mm -hmm. is going over tricks of the trade, he does mention like, oh, I have to do a lot of cardio so that I can look like I'm, I'm walking. But I'm moving really fast, you know, yeah. which is the usual thing serial killers do. And he kind of explains how a lot of the things that look supernatural are, are, like you said, just stagecraft.
1: Yeah, it's like, you know, like yoga techniques and breathing exercises. And yeah, it's all presented in such a way that people are like, oh my God, how do you do that? I thought yeah, dead. because when he, when, he,
2: when he goes to see Jean, his mentor, the guy is like buried in a box in the woods, like with a lowered heart rate. Yeah. <laughs> just, like, I guess, to, like, keep in practice, because he is retired, but, you know, I guess you never lose the itch.
1: All right, so anyway, yeah, so we're about, like, three scenes in by the time we, we meet the mentor, but I just have to remark that, like, the first 20 minutes of this movie moves by at a fairly fast pace. Like, I, like, I didn't realize, like, I was already 20 minutes in... Um, when, uh, you know, we've, we've gone through so much already. Like we've, we've met, you know, Leslie Vernon. Um, he, uh, take, he takes us to, um, like sort of his, his home, like the site where it's all going to go down. He explains like why he can't live there because he's like, well, oh, I'm supposed to be dead. Like he explains the legend. He explains <laughs> a lot of tricks of the trade. He, um, uh, takes, uh, Taylor, the filmmaker and her crew over to like spy on some, or just sort of observe some high school kids to be like you know this is how you pick them out like you know this you know this one like you know she's got to be a virgin there's like her jock friend and her stoner friend and like you know her stoner friends are going to be slower so they'll probably be easier to kill first and just like every scene is a great way of you know further establishing the lore and the tricks of the trade um you know he goes into the, ba- the character's backstory about how he was like the like the bastard child who like killed his parents. And then the fam- then like the, um, the town got together and like, they like threw him over a waterfall or something fucked up like that.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. So they do, they get through a lot of business, like in a, in a fun way, like it really quickly, like just within like the first 20 minutes of the movie. Yeah.
3: Yeah. yeah. Um, they, um, one of the things that, uh, that, I mean, like you said, they really kind of play up the fact that it, it, the theatricality of it all, you know mm. that it is that it is showmanship, uh, which really comes into play when you find out that in fact the backstory is all made up. Because um, yeah, Leslie Vernon—he's in fact Leslie Marconi or something—and yeah. um, and he's basically just like, oh yeah, I'm just going to call myself Leslie Vernon and take advantage of this this existing legend. But I have no connection with him at all. It's just you know, it, it's it's all just backstory to me. It's all part of if to him it literally is getting into a character. So.
1: Yeah, it's kind of yeah. a character playing a character, which I really like about it. And it's it's fun too because it then also undercuts all the other, you know, slasher lore because it's like, well, none of this is is really real. It's just a lot of guys who are really motivated and put a lot of work into it because it's kind of like, you know, that that saying about, you know, what what it means to be a good a good magician is to just put more time into practicing something than any sane reasonable person would. <laughs> It's you know it's like learning to throw cards into a hat like who would practice that night after night after night only someone Ricky who wants to be Jay. good at it ma- yeah um, yeah Ricky J you know rest in but peace. one of
3: the things I mean it, that was interesting in this because yeah about it's all it's all about kind of a stab just this it's all it's all uh, it's all fake but because mm-hmm. uh, one point he's as he's trying to plant the seeds for this um, this massacre he's about he's going to do. Picked out his this girl that he is is going to be his final girl, and he's got to. It is funny because they keep using like industry terms, yeah. you know, kind of the the kayfabe of of serial killing almost. Because yeah. um, he's like, okay, first we're going to do a uh, a red herring, and what's that? And there's and Taylor's like, what's that? It's like, well, that's when you you do some sort of a, a sort of a attack tangentially related to your person to kind of like set the tone. Mm-hmm. So they're trying to decide which <laughs> random person. You know, because Leslie's like oh I thought I'd kill one of her friends no 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 that's too obvious uh, does yeah. she know like a janitor at the library maybe or <laughs> yeah yeah. and,
2: and as, it, it tur- as it turns out um, the person who serves that role is um, Zelda uh, Rubenstein from, yes from uh, Poltergeist
3: Yeah. Y- you know I'm going to say something mean um, okay. she is like the weak link in this movie because <laughs> <laughs> I mean everything on this movie is, is pretty good but like her performance was just like, I, it's like I feel like she was just like I'm just gonna like talk right through this and not really put any emotion into anything. And it's like okay, well I mean you're the lady from Poltergeist, so I mean I, I recognize yeah. you, so that's good. But like, really? <laughs> not not really selling this role as this librarian. <laughs>
1: Well, I um I I don't have a problem with that because that scene is for me like really when the penny dropped for the movie, um because we've seen everything documentary style up until this point with the exception of like the the cold open it's been all documentary style and then you know we have uh you know Leslie Vernon explaining you know how he's going to do his red herring where he says like okay I set up this newspaper article about it, it turns out that. You know, my final girl had a great uncle who was, you know, involved in this, you know, murder of, you know, Leslie Vernon as a child and blah, blah, blah. And he's showing it to Taylor and she's like, wow, where'd you find this? And he's like, well, I didn't find it. I made it up. (laughs) Like this picture, like this is all digital. Like that just like aged her and made her look like, You know, to have like a passing resemblance. And he's like, I cut this out, I replace a microfiche, I put it on a desk, she finds it, and then the librarian talks to her, and then she's gonna like give her this whole backstory about like blah, 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 and this, you know, kid died, and it was this whole horrible tragedy, but don't worry about it, it's just a story. And then it, then, and we have a great scene of them, you know, all explaining this, explaining what's gonna happen, documentary style, in the library. Uh, He um, then. You know, Leslie uh, runs off to go do his thing, and it's funny because he just got that a about about. He's like, "Yeah, you know, I'm going to kill the librarian, and then I'm going to chase her around for a while, and then we'll then we'll all head home." Uh, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but then he's like, he explains what, what's going to happen. Uh, he leaves, and the scene cuts to an overhead shot of the. Um, uh, we we see the girl find the paper. It cuts to an overhead shot on film of her going to the. Uh, librarian desk and talking to the librarian and saying, oh, like, what do you know about this article? Can I find more information about it? And that's when it changes its its uh format. We're no longer in a documentary. We are in a slasher movie. Like it's it's put on all the trappings of this slasher genre and now we're getting to experience what we've been told we're going to expect. And that it plays out exactly how as he explained it to us, I think is, is great because then there's, you know, Zelda Rubenstein saying, Oh, this is about this kid who got killed and blah, blah, blah. But don't worry about that. It's just a spooky old story. And then Leslie Vernon shows up and kills her. <laughs> <Everything> <laughs> that, that yeah. Um,
3: that this is also the scene where we, where, but there is a, there is one fly in the ointment that he did not predict. And that is the appearance of uh, Doc Holleran. Yes. The, uh, the uh, the doc Doctor Loomis stand in played by Robert England uh, yeah and uh, he's great in this and I have to say that the the costume they put him in it's it's so perfect um, I don't know if it's actually similar to what uh, you know uh, Donald Pleasance wore in Halloween but it just so <laughs> much looks like oh yeah the good psychiatrist character who's going to save the day down you know he's got the sweater vest he's got the these these gloves these black gloves on yeah that. You know, nobody wears, but it somehow it just looks so right for this character. So um, I, I really like the attention to detail with that.
1: Yeah. So if you know your lore, you see you recognize the tropes there. So it's even more like rewarding to be like, I know what's going on here. Like you feel rewarded for it.
3: Yeah. And uh, yeah, and, and even and then Leslie's extremely excited because he realizes that he has has an Ahab
1: as they call it, <laughs> yeah. and and Taylor's excited too, and the whole crew is excited, and then she's like. What's an Ahab?
2: <laughs> yeah, that was actually a term that I, that I didn't know. But um, I recognize most of the other kind of uh Jen, I don't slang-y... think that's a term that
1: exists. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they invented it. They made it up for this movie. Yeah. I'm,
3: I'm sorry to tell you, oh, Jen, there is, they? Well, not, they... there is not actually insider uh,
1: industry lingo for serial killers. For, for the business of serial killing.
2: <laughs> well, no, it's, it's, uh, a lot of it is academic kind of speak. For um, oh, you know, okay. like writing on cinema is what I'm talking about. Like, um and I'm not sure why they say survival girl instead of final girl in this movie, because um I mean did somebody copyright Final Girl when we were when it, we all weren't looking or something?
1: I don't know if it had necessarily been established because keep in mind this is the prehistory of, you know, two thousand four. This was ages <laughs> ago. Like who knows what could have now, happened between now and yeah, then. Yeah, this
2: might this is pre T V tropes yeah <laughs> <laughs> no people like i'm pr- like uh well you know actually let's uh let's see if somebody has uh written about the coinage of yeah it might not final girl
1: it might just not have been like an established like name at that point but but while jen's looking that up um i do wanna... oh you know what it's, it's uh
2: it was coined let me mm-hmm. see oops sorry um Term final girl was coined by Carol J. Clover in her 1992 book, Men, Women, and Chainsaw's Gender in the Modern Horror Film.
1: Okay, oh, well, there right, it is. So, well,
3: I guess it was around at the time. Um, you know what? Maybe, maybe they were, like, making a conscientious choice to reject that name because, you know, they're like, oh, yeah, that's what the the lay people would call it. as a uh, But pe- people in the industry, we call it this thing. Just like how in the old days when, like, uh, nerds were like, hey, it's not anime, it's Japanimation.
1: Yeah, it's... <laughs> we aren't Trekkies, we're Trekkers, please. Yeah. Yeah, so it, it may be a subtle <laughs> distinction like that. But
2: Well, it, um, it, uh, I got caught up enough in it that I believe that Ahab was an actual academic term for the, um, you know, the Donald Pleasance-like character in a yeah. horror film.
1: No, I didn't know or- it, but I mean, that it shows up enough to warrant a term is also interesting
2: yeah well it is i mean it is a movie all about um kind of playing around with uh and i hate i've already used it too much in this episode i really hate the word trope because it just makes me think of fucking tv tropes which is one (laughs) of the worst websites on the internet
1: well i mean we are dealing with a mockumentary that deals heavily in tropes so i think it's allowed
0: yeah,
2: right. It's just that it. Um...
1: Did you see when Donald, uh, sorry, uh, Robert
3: English showed up in his <laughs> badass long coat?
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jay, yeah, like, just like hang um... a
1: lampshade on it. Let this be a crowning <laughs> moment of awesome.
2: You know, it's it's great when um, all the editing of these resources is done by people who don't know the term duster. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's a, but that's the thing because. It's so easy to fall into a kind of an R slash movies <laughs> type of pattern where it's just like, oh, I know what that is. I know what that is. I know what that is. Yeah. It's just like noting references to other things. And to tell the truth, when uh, Tim first told me about this movie, I put off watching it for a while because I honestly wasn't sure if I was going to enjoy it as much as Tim did because um, these you know, the the mockumentary is a little bit of a threadbare form, um, especially in, you know, the days of reality television. So it's like, oh, well, it's a mockumentary about slashers. I was like, is this just going to be some nerd bullshit where we all pat ourselves on the back for recognizing like all the references in it? And the movie really won me over. It was much cleverer than I expected. And it didn't, It also didn't do that um, irony age bullshit of like, and this was something I was complaining to Tim about the other day, where um, once a genre or a particular fandom or medium becomes um, mainstream and popular enough, in spite of its flaws, it's like all its fans have to apologize for it, like Mm. preemptively, which Mm -hmm. is... One of the most annoying nerd traits, like, for example, like, I listen to a lot of progressive rock, and I remember watching, like, a Okay, prom- you
1: should apologize for that.
2: I will never apologize. <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead. I was watching a progressive rock documentary from the BBC, and, like, half the interviewees, like, had to do this kind of obligatory, like, well, yeah, like, we know it's all lame and it's all sequined capes and elves and it's it's very silly, but, you know, actually it's good. It's like, just say it's fucking good. Like, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't part of, like, the punk movement, like, upending music at the time, but they did make a lot of very lasting art. Some of it very fucking silly. Just look at Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, but... 40 or 50 years later, who gives a shit? Just listen to the music if you like it and enjoy it. It's like kind of the same thing with any other fandom where um, you're so afraid of mainstream opprobrium because you're so used to getting it. I mean, I know that's the case with horror. Uh, We've all seen like old Siskel and Mm -hmm. Ebert uh, reviews where it's like they just do not fucking get slashers at all. Yeah, they're absolutely
1: trashing ones that we consider classics. Yeah. Yeah,
2: and... It's like you don't need approval from these people. It's like they didn't get it. That happens. I mean, I can think of a lot of stuff that I didn't get at the time and only with like a few years and a little bit of age, you're like, oh no, like I, you know, I I finally understand where this, this work was coming from. And I think that's true of the slasher. And I like that Behind the Mask doesn't feel the need to... Kind of go, like, I mean, it's kind of what has happened to pro wrestling these days, where, yeah, like, wrestling has always been stupid, but now it's, you know, like... Yeah, it's like they kind of... AEW is run by a bunch of nerds, and they all, because they're nerds, they have to go, like, oh, yeah, well, we know this is dumb, so, you know, we're just gonna, like, really wink, obviously, at the audience and, like, not take it too seriously. Oh, and we're not gonna work out either, because... You know, like, we don't know how.
1: Yeah, that's max of effort. And yeah, like, Jen had a good point earlier. She didn't want to watch this because she's seen enough sort of winking, like, self-aware, mockumentary-style, you know, movies about slashers where, like, it kind of deflates them, kind of takes the piss out of them. But it's like, well, this isn't here to, um, to parody and apologize for the genre. It's in love with its own genre. Like, that's why this movie exists, I want to say. Like, it is it is a fun ride that doesn't make you feel, like, gross and stupid and, like, a chump for watching it.
3: Yeah, yeah. I think that's a big difference between this one and um, another very famous parody of, of slasher movies, oh, which is it. the... don't bring...
2: Don't say it. <laughs> of course, I'm talking about... No, we have to talk about it! Oh, talking God damn, about...
1: you two talk about it. I'm going to go put an ice pick in my ear.
2: Of
3: course, I'm talking about... Scary movie?
2: Oh, no, I'm talking
3: it. about. Um,
1: <laughs> I'm talking about. No,
2: scary movie was actually funny. It was.
1: It was hilarious, and um, yeah, they thought they weren't going to do a sequel because they're like, ah, "This just a one-off movie, whatever." But it's like, no, it blew up huge.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And now my, we have yeah.
3: lots of movies. Yeah. Um, no, we're talking. I think uh, Cabin in the Woods is the uh, yeah. the other movie that's often uh, held up as the movie that solved horror. <laughs> we all go home now. Horror has been solved.
2: Now, we, um, I just want to put this. With movie. <laughs> I just want to put this on the record. Um, the three of us, we all hated Joss Whedon before it was cool. Well, I mean,
1: I I hated him for valid reasons, not for performative ones. That's because I think he's a shitty writer.
2: <laughs> well, yeah, it's like everyone. Yes, exactly. Like you know. um... Uh, Especially if you're a nerd, like, you will eventually be around people who think that Buffy is one of the greatest shows of all time. You know, I've seen plenty of Buffy. I think it's fine. You know, it's just, it's not really my flavor. And um, there's a point where all of the qualities that people seem to love about Joss Whedon's writing just, like, go absolutely fucking out of control. Which, like, that was true on firefly which was uh, you know a show that i actually watched and i was like okay well there are good things and bad things in, about this show but it's just like a, it's just way too weedeny for me yeah i watched and, the
1: pilot and i'm like i think i think i'm good
2: yeah <laughs> got enough shine. yeah and ugh. so when like it's just geez, too like and,
1: smugly self-aware that's the problem that i have with it is like yeah it's what jen's saying is that you know, it's kind of that like you know, hipster Gen X notion about like never being able to take yourself too seriously.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And also, like, not to mention like, and n- like nothing really against Nathan Fillion, but Nathan Fillion in Firefly is like, hey, what if we had Han Solo, but he was really boring? <laughs> <laughs> so I think but- we're
1: originally uh, shitting on Cabin in the Woods rather than just the entire Whedon Ove.
2: Yeah, well, but why, I really—it's like I really, yeah. I really want to be smug right. about this because the three of us were correct. Right. We knew that Whedon was shit <laughs> before he got me Too'd or like whatever the fuck yeah. happened, and we were absolutely correct. Like every other nerd. In fact, I remember one time um, saying to Tim like it would be because you know those like fucking T-shirts that had the uh, for the audience those T-shirts that had a. Uh, it was in the Star Wars font. And it was like Joss Whedon is my master or something like that.
3: <laughs> like, what, did, oh. what did those fucking things say? Uh, I think they said they said curse your inevitable but predictable betrayal or whatever the <laughs> fuck.
2: <laughs> no, it was like it, it was definitely like a Joss Whedon fan shirt, like in the Star Wars font. And I was, I said to Tim. I was like, what if we made a shirt that was, like, exact same font and design, but just said Joss Whedon can, can eat a dick? I remember that. And we just wear it, wore it to a convention. And you know, we never pulled the trigger on that, I think, partially because on my part, I was afraid of being physically torn apart <laughs> by angry nerds if I were to wear that shirt. Um, you know, and it just doesn't seem as funny now, but, like...
1: You could well, have been the one that broke know. the dam, but...
2: I know, I know. I it's think, like I didn't have the courage of my convictions. Although, yeah. well, on the other nerd, hand, I told—well, so. I told everyone who would listen, like you know, I really don't fucking like Joss Whedon. I don't think he's that great. Yeah, and I re- usually that would result in like a vast, uh, unamused muttering in your wake. But fast forward think, to 2020.
1: Yeah, not not relevant to anything. But I think it was a party that at Mike's that you and I were at, where I referred to him as Josh Whedon unapologetically. And like one of Mike's friends got really shirty about it.
3: Oh, yeah. Oh, really? (laughs)
1: Yeah.
3: Uh, Wait, Tim, are you sure you were calling him Joe
1: Eden? Oh, Joe Eden, that is. Yeah. Because his name is Joseph, yeah.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I called him
1: Joe Eden, that's right. But anyway. Were
2: Were these the same friends who liked Dane Cook?
1: Probably,
3: I. I. You know what? Like, when you say that, like, when you say, like, uh, oh, uh, one of Mike's friends who likes Josh Josh Whedon, it's like doesn't narrow it down. It could be any <laughs> no. one of these these uh interchangeable
1: nerds. Well, it doesn't yeah. matter because they died of COVID. So yeah. um so they're, they're not listening to this podcast. So it's okay. Yeah.
2: Well, but yeah. Anyway, so um, like, let it be on the record. We all knew that Whedon sucked like early on right, yeah, um yeah. everyone else had yet to catch up with it but um and in fact when uh we decided that we were going to cover behind the mask for the podcast um by way of comparison i asked Tim, i said and i i believe i texted you and said i this is probably a stupid question but have you seen cabin in the woods and the response was of course Fuck no.
1: (laughs) It was that or or the answer would be, yes, that is a stupid question.
2: (laughs) Yeah, which, fair. Like, absolutely fair. But I had to do my due diligence. But I knew that, um, you know, because um, Mike has a particular bent for analysis, I knew it was something that he had had to see for himself just to see how fucking stupid it was. So um, I will yield the floor to Mike to speak about... um, cabin in the woods and it's deconstruction of tropes versus behind the mask
1: oh i just threw up in my mouth a little
3: (laughs) (laughs) well i'm I'm gonna say first off the bat like hopefully everyone's listening has already seen cabin in the woods because um you know like you can't spoil the secret ending spoilers
1: ahead spoilers ahead
3: and um and that that is actually a thing about cabin in the woods when it came out was people would not tell you what it was about People were saying like, oh, you got to see it. I can't tell you. I literally cannot tell you anything about this movie or it would be spoiled.
1: Yeah. If I told you, I'd have to kill you.
3: Yeah. And it was weird, but like, I kind of figured out like, oh, it's because this movie there's like, if you literally tell people the premise of the movie... There's nothing beyond that. It, it has. No, there's no there there. So if you tell them the premise, you have spoiled the movie, and there's no reason to see it. <laughs> but they. Yeah. So they're like, no, no, I can't, I can't deal with that. I, I can't deal with the psychic trauma of admitting that Joss Whedon has made a completely contentless
1: Just a, movie. Yeah, so, a one-trick pony. Like we yeah. got one. We got one trick here, and we're gonna pat it out for the entire length of the feature.
3: Yeah, and that is really what it is. And I, I will now proceed to spoil that that thing for you. basically what it is is that there is a cabin it's in the woods and a bunch (laughs) of teenagers are gonna go to this cabin to party right Mm -hmm. and meanwhile there's some weird like underground bunker or a bunch of like uh pencil pushers are watching the whole thing on big screens and orchestrating everything that happens to them they're like all right well now we're gonna turn on the the special gas that makes teenagers all act horny and weird, you know. And now we're gonna <laughs> you like. You
2: don't need gas to do that.
3: Right. No, no. See, but That's like,
2: just teenagers. <laughs> no, no, But
3: you don't understand because these, because Joss Whedon was like, okay, these aren't gonna be like stereotypical teenagers. They're like non-stereotypical teenagers. So like, they're like really like, you know, you know, you know. That therefore, I'm gonna show how they're forced to act in these stereotypical horror way horror movie ways. But it's ironic because I'm watching this and I was like, oh, by, by taking away the the cliches, you have just created like six characters with no personalities because you didn't bother to actually flesh them <laughs> out. So they're actually less sympathetic than your, you know, very two dimensional uh, horror movie uh, uh, characters usually get in a standard flasher. I, wow.
1: I, I like how Joe likes going meta, but this is like meta stupid. Like this it's... is just regular <laughs> stupid
3: It's it's extremely stupid, and this whole movie. uh, So that is apparently the premise that you can't give away in this movie. And uh, watching this movie, I was thinking the whole time, like, okay, well, here's my prediction for where it's going to end. Okay, Mm -hmm. it's going to end because like they they seem to be doing this thing where they're like all around the world, every country is doing this in their their own way. So like in Japan, they're doing a, a version of like a J horror movie where mm-hmm. with some dudes and there's like and that's they're saying that this is happening in every country and so i was like all right Ooh, do sure. they have
2: any of those like philippine monsters with are just heads with intestines hanging down
3: nope all they do they show very funny. brief glimpses of like a japanese uh style horror movie that's going on at the same time but joe whedon apparently like that was like i can't be bothered to re- to learn about more than 2 subgenres of horror so that's it <laughs> um,
0: me read a book
3: but i'm an artist yeah, you know, he's like,
1: ah, it's I'm a like, genius. I don't need to I mean, be informed. <laughs>
3: he barely understands slashers, which have you know only been like what the the most famous form of horror movie in the last thirty years. So right. Um. So so that so I thought watching this, like, all right, my prediction is it's going to turn out they're basically making a snuff movie, you know,
0: okay. and mm-hmm. and I
3: thought like that's that's a pretty you know lame twist. I mean it's pretty predictable. It's like, oh wow, what a commentary on how people like to watch like, you know, um violence.
1: Yeah, maybe you're the slasher, huh? Yeah.
3: It's like, oh boy, I feel seen. <laughs> um so I was kind of expecting that to be the final twist, which would have been very predictable and um kind of stupid, but kind of would have followed from what happened in the movie. But mm-hmm. instead, what it turns out is at the very end of the movie, Sigourney Weaver shows up, and she's like, oh, hey, so, like, the reason we do all this Damn, Ripley. Is, it's me, Ripley! <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, hey, get a load of me. Remember me? I was an alien. Yeah. Um, and it's possibly, that thing you can all relate to. Yeah, she was like, I was an alien. And Ghostbusters, also both very famous horror movies that you should be aware of and yes. recognize me from. <laughs> and she says to the, the surviving heroes at that point, it's basically the final girl and the Joss, Weed, and Quippy self-insert character.
0: Ugh.
3: Yeah. <laughs> and she says, okay, so the, what, what this is all about is that there's, like, a big, like, evil, like, Lovecrafty and Squid God. And uh, we have to do a ritual where we basically have, a bunch like, six horny teenagers go into a cabin and, rant and get killed off one by one, and that makes the big Squid God happy so it won't come up and destroy the world. And I was just like okay
1: that is so overwrought <laughs> like I can't like it's nice that he like no that's not nice fuck him it, I mean he, he created he creates like this overwrought like elaborate I don't know puzzle box just so he can like have his like, quippy characters quip in but you but you finally like pull away from it and see like the the larger point of view of it and you're like, what the fuck am I watching like what am yeah. I looking at here?
3: I mean, that was the thing. It's like, at the end, I was like, well, it was not predictable because it was stupid. (laughs) I mean, it was just out of this thing that just comes out of nowhere. I'm like, oh, okay. I guess I should believe that a Lovecraftian deity would for some reason want to see, like, some teenagers, like, fuck and die. All right. Like slasher
1: movies. What what an overwrought premise.
2: Yeah. I mean, like, on first blush, like, the implication would seem to be that there's something like um, primal in the human species where we need to see these well, kinds of sacrificial things. But, like, a Lovecraftian god is, you know, like... Uh, that's a big cliche, in... too. Well, it's in... The thing about Lovecraftian god is that it's indifferent to humanity. Like, we're not even, like, specks yeah. to, uh, you know, Cthulhu or whatever. We are, We are absolutely beneath notice, which is, you know, what makes, like, you know, the void is, like, the... The horrifying thing. So, um, it's, uh, it's unique. It's, it's not really resonant with why we like to indulge in these, like, Grand Guignol. Yeah. Because it's not,
1: it's not based on anything. And I think that by contrast, this is where Behind the Mask shines because we get a brief, um, monologue from, you know, from the mentor Eugene about, like, why this happens. Like, he explains, you know, why why they because Taylor asks like, you know, you're in the business of what supernatural killing sprees, and he explains that you need evil to give something to have good people fight against. It's it's a way of like tempering their character, and that's why it's <laughs> yeah. important to like, you know, and and this is like textbook of the um you know book that Jen brought up early was it you know Men, Women, and Chainsaws. Um, and also there's another great book that I read that, you know, deconstructs a bunch of different, um, uh, horror genre movies. Uh, it's called Offensive Films, which if you can find that, I highly recommend that. But yeah, the, the takeaway from it is that the, uh, the arc of the final girl or, you know, survivor girl in this is that you know, she has to go through these, you know, tribulations to reach adulthood become like a functioning adult and productive member of society by going through these things that are are very tense and very scary and what seem to be deadly to you so they are banking on that metaphor as the as like the the in universe premise of the work that they do and i just love that the person who you know wrote this based it on a valid sociological examination of horror movies it's these are Um, these are these, uh, insurmountable, you know, terrifying challenges that a person has to rise to in order to, you know, achieve a, you know, positive development in their personal character. And, and one of the things in particular, and and this is kind of a neat sidebar on the, um, on, on, um, like the final girl is that, um, just to give you like a quick summary of, of, I think the premise of, um, uh, gender dynamics in, in slasher movies is that you have a lot of these uh, broad stereotypes where we have like the jock, the slut, like you know the what ends up being the final girl, like the stoner, and those all represent approaches to problem solving. Um, because you know the killer is the, is the problem that has to be solved. The jock, he he is killed because you learn in the way that you learn that just overt, um, a swaggering, you know, toxic if you want to call it masculinity, that's not going to work. The woman who's just, you know, being a slut, you know, and just like fucking her way through life, that isn't going to work. The guy who's lazy and indifferent, that isn't going to work. It's it, all the so you're learning that all these roles that are just saying, oh, I'm going to be, you know, your basic off the shelf guy. I'm going to be male, whatever. And he's fine. Like, well that isn't going to get you very far because it's a very narrow way to define your character. Same as it goes with female characters, same as it goes with, you know, like the slacker, joker, lazy, you know, layabout character. So the thing is that by the end of the movie, the character, uh, like the final girl's character is found to be, uh, it it resolves this kind of androgyny of saying, you know, you need a little bit, masculine a little bit feminine you need to pull from different places to build your character to come up with this sort of cultural gestalt to be like you know i'm gonna pick my i'm gonna pick the sort of elements that i need in order to solve this problem which also is why um you know the final girl tends to be a little androgynous herself i mean like you you could say like ripley is kind of like she isn't like you know really super feminine that's just the mm-hmm. one off at the top of my head. But overall, like, it's... You'll, you'll find... Or f-
2: Jamie Lee Curtis in Halloween.
1: Yeah, Jamie Lee Curtis. I can't believe I didn't think of that. <laughs> but yeah, that is a perfect example. So already we got two of them. Um,
3: and they do, yeah, they do kind of touch on that in Leslie Vernon when he talks about she needs to be grabbing at those phallic tools to uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. to, to uh, take him out
1: with his, yeah. you know. And, th- and that is so much fun, too, at the end when they're, like, talking all in metaphor. But but we yeah. but that's like well into the third act. We still have um, Taylor is kind of throwing a monkey wrench into Leslie's plan by talking to Doc Halloran, and that's where we learn you know the backstory of uh, of you know Leslie in that you know he's not really Leslie Vernon. He's um, uh, you know what did Mike say? He's Leslie Mancuso from Reno. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but then like that's. Even though he's, you know, he's been charming and he's been very, you know, effusive this whole time, he's also deadly serious, like, literally deadly serious about this, where it's like, do not fuck this up for me, this is my life's work, like, I'm going to be this supernatural killer, and, you know, he's like, I've done you a favor by taking you along and showing you behind the scenes of how this works, but, you know, do not fuck this up for me, and if you want out, you know, you're free to go at any time. Well, we do see that when,
3: when, uh, yeah, um, Taylor talks to Doc Holleran and also tries to talk to the uh, chosen survivor girl. And when Leslie confronts him after that, he kind of like he they start arguing and he grabs Taylor and kind of slams her against the van. And that's mm-hmm. a great little bit because, you know, to some degree, even watching a comedy, but they are reminding you like, no, no, this this is still going to this is going to be a slasher. This guy is dangerous and he's yeah. going to kill people. So <laughs> it, it kind of does put you a little gets you a little off balance back into the horror mode there. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, and this
1: is a good moment for Leslie's character, or not Leslie, for Taylor's character, because this is her having to decide, you know, hey, are you in or out? Because we've seen, or we at least get an inkling of what Leslie's capable of. And this is, you know, Taylor, the sort of naive, optimistic filmmaker being like, uh, are we cool with continuing to watch this guy, like, slaughter a bunch of teens and film it? (laughs) Like, are we complicit then?
2: Yeah, and it's an interesting dramatization of the way that fans, and often female fans, are drawn to these figures in fandom. Because, um, I mean, you know, you go to Tumblr and, you know, like, you're like, what the fuck? Like, why does everyone want to fuck the Babadook? But uh, <laughs> that's just, that's just like a part of fandom is that got a dashing women- outfit.
3: Everyone needs. Yeah, everyone women... wants some Boba dick.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, women in particular are, like drawn to the villains, and they do have a, a connection. Like mm-hmm. they they have this kind of like emotional connection to each other, and you know, it it we find as you know the plot goes on that it it goes like. Even deeper than we expected, but
1: yeah, isn't uh, isn't uh, can't think of it? Isn't Ted Bundy dreamy? By the way, no,
2: <laughs> <laughs> that's yes. um, that's a bridge too far for me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so,
1: so this is the point where Leslie Stouch is like, "Hey, I'm going to slaughter you know all of this girl's teenage friends in order to you know temper her character to make her into a you know into a a." A strong female character, basically. Um, and he's saying to Taylor, like, hey, at this point, are you in or out? And we aren't really sure at that point until the next scene where it's like, you know, Taylor comes back in her, you know, VW van with her, you know, sound guy and her and her film crew. Like, OK, yeah, like I'm committed to this. And so this is where it, it jumps off into them setting up the third act, which is Leslie explaining, OK, here's what's going to happen as I kill all these teenagers. <laughs> yeah and yeah and it's more like behind the scenes business which is a lot of fun He's' because i'd love to i don't know how you guys would feel about this but i love the like sit down interview of the two of them and she's like you know kind of starting to throw some hardball questions about him about you know his ideas about like gender roles and him being like pro-life and, and other like <laughs> weird like non-sequiturs
2: the, the interview segments are so fucking funny especially yes. if you've watched a lot of um kind of like, uh, you know, news magazine style shows like 2020. And in mm-hmm. fact, like at the beginning of the, of the movie, like Taylor asked her Cameron, like, you know what? I'm trying to find my own voice. Was that like to Diane Sawyer? Yeah. And <laughs> mm-hmm. another thing which I complained, uh, I've complained to Tim about is, um, and I think I talked to you about this, Mike is, um, uh, that interview style, which is common to, you know, news magazine type shows where, um, the interview is, yes, it's about the subject, but there's also this need to keep cutting back to the interviewer, like, looking very serious. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, just when, you know, the the subject could be talking about something, like, incredibly, like, upsetting or traumatic, and then you cut back to the, the reporter – like looking very grave with their hand on their chin and nodding. And it's like, I don't fucking care about her reaction or his reaction. <laughs>
1: yeah. It's like, like, I'm here to tell you how to feel about this. This is very important. This is big time stuff. <laughs> well,
3: I'm glad Diane Sawyer yeah. told me. I wasn't I was yeah, sure how to um, react. Yeah. You know, which is why like, um,
2: you know, like the Errol Morris kind of like in approach where it's like, you're looking the interview subject full in the face. It's, uh, and this is something which they do on, uh, They do it on better true crime shows like um, uh, Evil Lives Here Where the focus is is entirely On the subject of the interview Mm
1: -hmm. And
2: at most You will hear The interviewer asking a question Like off camera But in Behind the Mask The way that they parody that very Like self-serious Like posing of questions To Mm -hmm. the subject And it's, it's extremely funny
1: yeah because I think what Mike had mentioned earlier about uh the final girl going to the tool shed and arming herself and like the symbolism of that of like you know her like basically unmanning him by you know taking like a large hard you know weapon to to swing around <laughs> um the um the uh camera guy like is watching the interview and he's like uh oh it's like uh oh it's almost like you want you want her to enter the shed and um and then he... And then, um, yeah. yeah, and then they're like, oh, oh, Taylor, you should ask him that. And, this, and then, then <laughs> she like rolls into it and it's like, Leslie, I feel you want Kelly to enter the shed. And then just like, <laughs> completely like fakes, like s- seriousness. Leslie's like, I'm glad you asked that, Taylor.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's so, it's so good. It's such a it's such a good line read. And, yeah. uh, and this whole segment is is really good because it. It's a dissection of the typical setup of a slasher movie, and it's mm-hmm. Leslie giving you the entire breakdown. Or is he? Because they then subvert it very cleverly, cleverly in the final third of the movie. Yeah,
1: yeah, and they, they set up things that you know, you should be fairly familiar with. Um, you know, uh, a couple goes in the basement, gets killed. A couple you know starts off doing it, gets killed. The lights go out. Um, someone gets killed only to be like discovered later. And he's like, let me lay out all these things that you're going to see. And he isn't laying it out just for Taylor. He's laying it out for us, the audience. And yes, we are going to see those things, but we are not going to see them in the way that we expected. Yes, because he he sort he lays everything out for us. He says, you know, I'm gonna kill these per- these people. Go gonna go from A to B, B to C. Then they're gonna run to the barn and they're gonna discover the body. And hopefully Doc Halloran will show up then, and like <laughs> we can have like a, a final face off then. And then either she gets away or I kill her. And then you thing then you know that kind of gets the legend started. So that's what he's hoping for. And the thing that is also like kind of uh, touching and tragic is that just how like worked up Leslie is about this because like this is like his Christmas but it's a Christmas that he may not live to see the end of like he is purposely putting himself in harm's way because he even like gets stressed about it to Taylor and her crew where it's like I know this is just a documentary for you but like this is like do or die like literally time for me like I am am outnumbered here and I need to kill like five people and like not be arrested (laughs) not be found out not be killed and so he's like, this is my life's work coming to this, culminating in this one night. Do not fuck this up for me. <laughs> um, yeah. And then
2: there's a moment where um, he actually becomes emotionally overwhelmed and Taylor reaches out to comfort a serial killer. It's, yeah, really, it's really a great a great scene played completely straight.
1: And yeah. um,
2: oh, and then the other thing, like, you know, that's kind of a. You know, like as I see it, like a little a little play on like um, you know female fans being drawn to these villains. But you know, we haven't even mentioned that um, his mentor Eugene is married to his final girl. Yeah, Which yeah. yeah. Is literally the dream of so many Tumblr teenagers. <laughs> <laughs> it's so it is so funny to me. Yeah, was, uh,
3: I... yeah, that that was re- that was funny because when that happened, I was like, oh, I think I know what's gonna happen, and. I had to keep explaining it to my wife. Because yeah. cause, cause I was I was doing the thing where I was like, that's <laughs> Leslie Vernon, you know? Um, but she was like, what, what do you mean? The final girl is like uh, Kelly. And I was like, no, no, no. I mean like the final girl of Eugene. And she's like, well, what, who's that? And I was like, the wife.
1: He's married to her now. Leslie's not married. I
2: was
1: like, yeah! <laughs> <laughs> there, there are two final girls? How can it be final? It doesn't make sense. Uh,
2: let me yeah. guess. She was drawing the whole
3: time. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There was actually, though, I do want to mention that in this kind of final sequence, there is my favorite dumb gag of the entire movie, which yes. I think is another thing that kind of puts it uh, in very stark contrast to Cabin in the Woods, which mm-hmm. was a movie obsessed with showing you how clever it was and showing <laughs> you that it was like it was more clever than a horror. It wasn't a dumb horror movie for dummies. You know, right. you right. a smart person should watch this movie. <laughs> you're smart. You get it. You know, Um and that is the bit because, like we've seen so much of this, is played straight. And mm. one of the bits is the the repeated shot of the the, uh, <laughs> the, the slut loft. going up the ladder.
1: Yeah, yes. with the panty shot. <laughs> yeah, it yes. is a gratuitous panty shot. We get three times.
2: <laughs> it's yeah, it's, and there's also and there's also some extremely gratuitous and very nice titties. Yes. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah.
1: And even Taylor has to stop her in there. She's like, come on. <laughs>
2: I, I like telling the, the story, Taylor?
1: Right. <laughs> I just liked
2: how the
3: panty shot is com- completely without commentary. You yeah. know, it's just in there, like shot from an angle that like, oh, this is an anime? You know, because <laughs> the, we're the only reason for it is the panty shot. But Yeah, it's like, um, we
1: are making a slasher movie here. You're going to see that.
3: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I mean, that's the thing. Is this is a movie that that feels like... It's 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 not it doesn't have to be like, hey, look at this dumb slasher movie. It's like, no, it's just it's giving you a slasher movie and it's giving playing a lot of these tropes kind of straight. Yeah, Um, it's
1: trusting you that you are smart enough to figure out what you're watching. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, You know,
2: the like the other thing about, you know, quote unquote, dumb slasher movies like certain. And, you know, this is a movie which is also about um, franchises Mm-hmm. You know, these are killers who killed throughout like series of, of movies and became basically became immortal. Um, I assume Leslie Verne will also become immortal. In fact, I hope that he does. Yes. Um, but the thing about like dumb slashers, when I hear when I hear that, and certainly this was the way that these movies were perceived as they came out, like they were, you know, like um, many other kind of uh, quantum leaps in an art form they were perceived as you know evidence of the decline of western civilization or or whatever mm-hmm. you know like our, our teenagers are renting these horrible movies from the video these video store,
1: nasties
2: like, yeah what's it doing to their brains and blah 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 and you know like gene siskel was upset enough about i can't remember which one it might have been friday the 13th he was so upset about it that he literally doxed an actress in one of them
0: what like, he asshole. mentioned, yeah, what yeah, a
2: piece he, of shit. And I think I've told this story on the podcast before, but it, yeah. it bears repeating that um, he was so upset that a name actress uh, had was lowering, her, lowering herself to appear in a slasher that he literally mentioned the town that she was living in and, you know, mentioned like writing her a letter or something like that. It's like, is, is this fucking necessary? Like, and, and you know
3: what? And you look pick at this. On it, Gene yeah. Siskel never faced any consequences for that doxing what the fuck Eesh.
2: no like i don't think and i don't think anybody went after the actress but still it's like it and it's also quite interesting that you know he focused his anger on the actress like taking a job rather yeah, than you know the studio role. or the producers of the director or you know well, anyone she, like
1: she is a woman right yeah. right and you know, i mean I, you know yeah what's what's but, one actress more or less <laughs>
2: I mean, there are millions where those come from, right?
1: Yeah, but... and, you know, like in our previous episode, you know, there are lots of innocent monks in, uh, in Russia.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you can get another Rasputin. Yeah. Um, but my point is that, you know, these movies were wild at the time. You know, they were considered trash. They were disposable. Um. And you can possibly argue about, like I said, like the diminishing returns of sequels, although many of those sequels... um went on to do quite interesting things with their premises. But um, I'm actually glad that um, a lot of these slashers that are now considered classic, like I didn't watch until I was much older, because you realize that these aren't just fucking dumb throwaway movies. And I think I was talking to uh, Mike and his wife about this when I watched um, Nightmare on Elm Street, the first one, which to me was... F- it could be interpreted as a film about the the way that adults just absolutely fucking fail their children, like either well in a mal- well, either in a well-meaning way or through neglect or through simply not wanting to face reality. Like the consistent failure of the adults in that movie to protect their kids from a very real danger is an absolutely timeless theme, and the fact that Nobody at the time, or, you know, like, or none like, of the loudest I'm, voices at the time seemed to pick up on that theme. Is yeah, or even pretty amusing to me.
1: Or, or like, taken from the teenager's point of view, you're like, I am living in this nightmare world and I need, you know, people's help that I can't get. And no one, no one in authority even listens to me. Like, no one believes. Yes. Yeah. Like, you know. And it's so. You might even it say is,
3: it's about, like, the failure of America to grapple with its
1: past. There's. That seemed kind of more like Poltergeist, but
2: <laughs> <laughs> right. But you know, these movies are like, there's a sociological, based on like, message ideas. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and there that's... are themes. It isn't just like oh, like you know, a bunch of dumb sluts get killed and yeah, there's it isn't, blood.
1: Yeah, it isn't Joe Ween doing like a you know a winking monster movie that doesn't actually have any substance to it. Yeah. Other than like patting its audience on the back for recognizing shit.
3: Well, I yeah, also feel I... like Joss Whedon, sorry, Joe Whedon. Thank he's you. Call him <laughs> by his proper name. Uh, yes. I,
1: I don't believe he's
3: actually ever seen a horror movie, much less right. a slasher movie.
1: <laughs> That would, you know, that would explain his sort of tone deafness. I mean, you know, that I well, Cabin
3: in the Woods. I mean, here's another thing. Leslie Vernon is actually filmed in parts when it needs to be like a slasher movie. There is like spooky lighting. There's atmosphere. Uh, yeah, there's mm-hmm. musical stings. Cabin in the Woods is basically a long Buffy episode. Ugh. It is. It is not filmed with any eye towards actually building suspense.
1: Yeah, it's just like how like I don't know, just Joe like pick up a book or something, like before yeah. you try and like wade in. And, like, He's up too busy,
3: uh he was too busy fucking starlets because of feminism. Yeah. <laughs> right. Was, yeah. It was necessary. <laughs> he had to do it for feminism.
1: I'm empowering these women by porking them behind the uh camera crew.
2: And you know, I can't speak too much on the themes of Woods yeah. not having fucking bothered to see it, so I'm trying to be at least somewhat fair here but my impression and Mike you can tell me if i'm right or wrong is that it's emblematic of what passes for media cri- critique these days where it's the most facile fucking mary sue ass blogosphere takes about what movies are actually saying yeah, where shallow you know like oh well um a lot of women get sexually assaulted in Game of Thrones. Therefore, the show condones sexual assault, like that <laughs> yeah. that type of an portraying
1: something is a priori an endorsement thereof. There, I there, said it. There yeah. are
3: yeah, there are two things about in the me. woods that um, that I, that about that is like one yeah, it is literally like oh, I read TV tropes and it says that very often horror movies have these five teenage archetypes that get killed one by one. So I will build an entire movie with that being the only. Knowledge of, of uh, horror movies and yeah, no it's like it's, no it's understanding of, of yeah uh, of culturally what makes them interesting or why people like them or anything yeah um, the other thing about cabin in the woods that I, I do want to mention uh, that 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 I I feel is is very indicative of the problems with it is the fact okay so basically what they do is like there's this bit where they have to go in the basement of the cabin and there's all this junk down there. And they, Since when
2: they, do cabins have basements?
3: Oh no, it's very—it's uh, it's obviously an East Coast cabin, right? Yeah, it's a
1: root cellar. They call it a root yeah. cellar.
3: Oh yeah, there you go. It's like uh, <laughs> that thing where they put the witch in Evil
1: Dead. I Yeah. Guess. Oh okay. Yeah. I guess. Oh
2: okay. Yeah yeah. Okay. I, like, yeah. all right. Well, I'm ba- I'm back on board. Uh, forgive right. me. You yes, know, <laughs> it, it had
1: me. a basement because in Evil Dead they had a basement. So like, okay, let's yeah. do that.
2: Uh, pretty much. But <laughs> there's a basement. And, Evil Dead is so good. Oh, my God. Yeah. Evil Dead oh, is good. Evil Dead and Evil Dead, Dead, Dead yeah. 2. Which are oh, also I very
3: funny movies. movies. Yeah. Very,
2: very, <laughs> very funny. Yes.
3: Um, but in uh, Cabin in the Woods, they have to go down to the basement and there's all this stuff in the basement. And the dudes watching them are like, OK, it's very important to the ritual that they have to pick the form of their destroyer, you know, by by touching mm-hmm. something in the basement. And they have this big leaderboard of all the different monsters that might appear, depending on what they touch in the basement, right? What did you do, Ray? Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I tried to think.
3: <laughs> and um, ultimately what they touch, I forget what they touch, but it ends up, it, the monster that they're, they're going to face are uh, zombie hillbillies. The zombie hillbilly family. And Also, also
1: like, why is that important? It's but its, it's go- not. <laughs> it's like yeah. Joss was
3: like, oh, I'll pull some zombie hillbillies. So that's what they're going to end up fighting. God.
1: Yeah, and you know, like, I haven't seen Cabin in the Woods, but, like, I've seen enough Joe Whedon stuff that's like, you know what you're gonna get. Like, the the, the context might change a little, but it's just gonna be the same kind of bantery, like, you know, Mary Sue's.
3: Yeah, and the thing is, it's all bantery Mary Sue's, right? So there's no, yeah. <laughs> there, there's no tension. Everything is any sort of like worry or concern is instantly killed by like a bad quip. But while this is all going on, they're doing that thing where they're like, okay. We're not going to show you the zombie hillbillies. They're going to always be vaguely in shadow or off screen. And my thing was like, look, y- you are not effectively creating any tension in this movie so you might as well show us some cool-looking monsters. I mean, but that is a very mm-hmm. typical thing I've noticed in, like, bad horror movies, where they're like, okay, we're going to make this psychological suspense by never showing you the monster. And it's like, that <laughs> works sometimes, but sometimes you're just playing keep away, and it's like, okay, I'm just bored now, because I don't get to see any cool monsters in this movie. Yeah,
1: it, yeah it's like I have that same, like, sort of, you know, ninth-grade understanding of Jaws and Alien. So it's like, yeah, I'm going to do the same thing with my movie, too.
2: Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and like um we talked about this in our Horror Express episode, and I appreciated Horror Express's willingness to be like, Yeah, the suit's cheap, but fuck it. You need you need to see the monster in this. Like yeah. for but the times this, when you a... do see it like for the most part he's like he the he <laughs> I can't I can't believe I gendered this alien creature. I apologize. Yeah, come on,
1: Jen. Yeah. The, You're gonna get the us monster,
2: canceled. The monster for the most part is just taking on the form of, you know, whoever it killed last. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, the times when you see, like, the it, in the form of this, you know, ancient hominid, it's like, no, you know, that's fine. And I do respect and have sympathy for low-budget filmmakers who understand... Our monster doesn't look that good, so let's not show it too much. Sometimes that's a production choice that you have to make, and that's fine. If you have to work around a prop, there's a way to do it effectively, and it can be done. Now, Joss Whedon, Joe Whedon, Joe Whedon, thank
0: you.
2: Is he's a very wealthy showrunner and feature director.
1: I'm so glad they got him off of MCU, though.
2: (laughs) I feel like they could have spent a little bit of coin on cool-looking monsters.
3: I I think it is entirely that like he read a bunch of like here's the thing he was like well horror is dumb so I'm gonna read what smart people say about horror and people like Gene Siskel say that like horror is bad and except when you can you can unless you can couch it as like a psychological thriller. 'Cause that's what smart people like. So right. I'm gonna try and ape that. And that just means playing keep away with monsters and not even having a final shot where you get a clear look at them. Never getting a clear look at them. Which is just kind of it's yeah. like cock blocking, you know?
1: Yeah, especially when like the monsters like aren't even the reveal in it. Like the monsters are just like, you know, goons basically yeah yeah yeah, they really are yeah yeah it's like i'm gonna make a zombie movie but you never see the zombies like what the fuck like what kind of jim jarmu shit is this
2: (laughs) (laughs) it's um you know what i think it is it's that um you know obviously whedon has an affinity of some kind for genre material he did make like a horror television series in in buffy um, and you know Buffy is fine if you like that kind of thing, but I think that well, if you because, like quipping
1: Mary Sue horror, yeah, sure.
2: Well, I think that the problem is that he's internalized this kind of mainstream liberal idea that a lot of the genre entertainment that we consume is bad. It's anti-feminist. It's toxic masculinity. <laughs> it's not intelligent, and so you're not going to see him writing something which shows this all-encompassing love of a genre it's got to be like no I'm going to turn it on its head because this is bad but I'm going to make it good because I'm going to make it clever and Uh, I'm
1: going to clean it up
2: I'm going to put powerful women in my in my shows and movies to cover up the fact that I'm Actually, just as misogynist as the average guy. I yeah. just and I'm
1: also cheating more. on my wife. Yeah, The, uh, exactly. the
0: overwhelming
3: um, aesthetic of a Josh Whedon production, especially Cabin <laughs> the Woods, is there. Is basically there. I fixed it. You're welcome.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we are um, at at the point in the movie where Taylor is kind of starting to experience a sort of Stockholm syndrome towards Leslie, where like. Jen mentioned she's like, you know, comforting him, you know, putting her hand on him. He, they follow them. They follow Lizzie into when he's going to do his first double murder of killing the couple that's having sex. And even the kind of camera guy turns to Taylor is like, are we doing this? Like, are we really going to sit idly by while he kills two people? And it's just kind of like, yeah, I guess, I guess like we're committed to it. But like, then we aren't even sure what like Taylor's uh, sort of, alliances are because you know leslie went in killed two people he came out and then she's kind of trepidatious about it and at that point leslie's like he he like you know he um he has to talk her down he he kind of uh you know pulls us the you know he like hits the stop button on this on this killing spree to like take her and her crew you know out like back to her van be like again like he's as he explained um, you know, this is really serious for him, you know, like we, uh, like we already mentioned, like, this is, you know, this is his big night and he's not going to allow them to mess it up because, you know, as he says, like, she's got this, you know, she's got this look in her eye, like, we can't just stand by and let him do this. And so he like leaves him back in the van and, you know, he says his goodbyes because like, I'm not going to see you again because I'll either be in hiding or dead or in jail after this, but you know, it's good working with you. Everyone, you know, we're going to have to go our separate ways. And then he goes back to killing and it's Taylor and her crew just like kind of dumbfounded. But even more so, she's got that. We can't just stand by and let him do this. Look, no. she's not going to stand by and let him do this.
2: <laughs> yes. And was that all part of the plan? Ultimately,
1: that's yeah, because they they <laughs> go back because then Taylor goes into the house with her crew to like, you to, to stop the plan. And she, they go up to, to the bedroom to find the final girl, you know, this pure virginal high school and she's (laughs) riding the jock.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. She is riding him like a bucking Bronco, like twirling her underwear in the air. And, um, Taylor's crew are like, that's, she, that doesn't look like a virgin. (laughs) (laughs) And so they finally get them all together and they try and explain
1: like what's happening here. Because like I think the lights go out and you know another couple gets killed off screen I think but at this point it's like the plan is just it's a mess at this point like we don't know where things are gonna go at this point because Taylor as the, as her uh, as her camera guy says like they put themselves into the equation now because it's not documentary style we aren't we're in the horror movie and yeah, Taylor and her point. crew are in there with them. This they're is the first the
3: time in the movie we actually see the crew, I think, isn't it? Like, they've always been behind the camera until this point.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I, think I don't know so. that we've really gotten much of a glimpse of the crew members. They're, they're, um, I mean, they, we hear them. Um, you know, there's like, there's a comedy to yep. be made of, uh, of how horny Todd is.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, but this is the first time that we see them on camera and, you know, that signifies the shift in kind of the framing of the story. Is yeah, like, and oh, they, well, you know, now we're in the slasher film.
1: And they even uh, address that with, like, a nice little subtext uh, in that, or, or a double meaning where, um, where what where he says it's over, the documentary is done. And yeah. the documentary is done. We are in a <laughs> yep. slasher movie now.
2: <laughs> yep. And, um...
1: Yeah, and then, and like, the three of them, like, when they're walking up to the house, who is it, like, Todd or someone, who is like, guys, I don't think it's such a good idea, and I really don't like that I just said that, given the circumstances. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, it's like the point in any Star Wars movie where someone says, I have a bad feeling about this.
1: Yeah, it's like, oh, don't go in there. I told yeah. you. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah.
3: You know, it's... it's um... It's. Uh, I hate to keep bringing up Cabin in the Woods. It's hard to <laughs> explain why this sometimes this one works so well and that one doesn't, because they're both very self-aware. But in this one, I feel like yeah, when Todd or Doug I forget, says like, "Oh, I don't think it's a good idea," and that? I don't like that he said that, it's self-aware. But I feel like it's it's still it's still a real thing. Like in the movie, it doesn't feel like the movie at some point just goes like, Hey, everybody get a load of these guys. They're, they're, they're in a slasher movie, you know?
1: Yeah. It's not like a sneering version of that. It's like, it's self-aware, but like genuine.
3: Yeah. It's like one of those things where I, it's kind of like one of the, it's like that experience. You realize what's happening, but it doesn't make it any less terrifying
1: to be in that situation. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't help that I know. True. Yeah. It doesn't help Taylor and her crew to know that there is a serial killer out there. Hell bent on killing all of them.
3: I guess what I should say is like to bring it back to my like uh, my bad psychedelic trip last week. See, this okay. t- it was a checkoff's gun. You mentioned it, so I have to bring it up again. Um, <laughs> see, when, when I was like uh, in the throes of sleep paralysis afterwards, and like there are like you know demons in the room and shit, I was like, oh well, I know I'm having sleep paralysis. I've I've read about that. I know exactly what's happening. I'm still scared of all these fucking
1: demons though. <laughs> Yeah. yeah maybe i can talk it out with them i don't know. <laughs> just how fucking terrified i am of them eating my soul but yeah Wait. it turns yeah. out that
2: being aware of what's happening doesn't make it any less terrifying yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah so it's so taylor and her crew are now in the mix and like they you know they're they're trying to basically like get things back on track because as taylor explains like you know the solution is in the plan because all they know is that you know leslie is following like a script basically like I'm going to go from here to here to here. And she knows that like, if she can kind of upend that, then that's how they can all survive. And it's great because this is, um, you know, for the audience, you aren't sure where things are going to go because it's, we just know we've established these different locations. Like we've established the barn. We've established the basement. We've, you know, established the, the bedroom. And so far, nothing has gone the way that we expected it to. Um, <laughs> and no nothing has gone the way that Taylor and the crew expected to go. Uh, to the point where, you know, everyone's just trying to come up with a solution and it's right because uh todd the the camera guy is like well see you guys i'm just gonna run (laughs) and and he does but uh one of the pieces of advice that eugene gave earlier is like you know don't don't try to hide he'll find you don't try to fight him he'll kill you and if you run don't look back and and todd runs but he like runs like a decoy and he's like um uh he's taunting leslie he turns, he turns around and he trips over and falls and Leslie catches him and kills him. Yep. <laughs> yep. So it's just like, that eh, don't look back. You fucked up.
3: You he know, turns though,
2: into a pillar of salt. That's yes. actually
3: a good scene. Cause it is kind of played. There's, there's a little bit of comedy in the, the decoy run and the trip and everything. But yeah. then when Leslie actually comes up and like breaks his neck, there's like some, that's actually some real pathos there where like, uh, uh T- Doug is all like, Leslie, look at me, look at me. It's Doug. You don't want to yeah. do this, you know, and then
2: yeah, where he, um, you know, he tries to appeal to this person that he has spent a lot of time with and, you know, gotten kind of fond of in spite of everything. Yeah. And, you know, there's there's a moment when you know, Leslie takes off his mask to look him in the eye. But, you know, the plot's going to go ahead like this was meant to be. He breaks his neck.
1: Yeah. It's kind of an of mice and men moment in a way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like, I love you, Lenny, but I got to kill you. <laughs>
2: yeah, exactly.
3: There, there is a very delicate balance between like the humor and horror in this movie that, um, that, that that's very and it's very difficult to really get that. But this movie really hits all the notes pretty well. So there, there isn't really a false note in it.
1: Yeah, it and, does. And as, as things move along, uh, a couple of the you know, ancillary characters that don't matter get killed. And it ends up with um, uh, Taylor... Uh, her other like her other camera guy or sound guy in the hayloft loft with uh, the slut and like the other stoner guy um, because like because they find out um was it Kelly like she's not the the final girl because she falls out a window and dies <laughs> they're just like yeah. oh well, we're before that
2: fuck. she faints so it's clear that she doesn't have the fortitude required yeah the final girl
1: yeah the two stoner guys um, they go into the shed and as Leslie Pen- points out earlier only the final girl is allowed in the shed anyone else who goes in there as he says it is gonna get the post hole digger <laughs> and sure enough he rips out one of their hearts with the post hole digger like he said he would you know set up payoff <laughs> so it's, it's so it's the four of them in the in the hayloft after the gratuitous panning shot for the third time <laughs> and um and then they're like they're trying to figure out like how like what went wrong like he's supposed to kill like this one um all these people like in the service of like building the character of this one naive virginal girl. Mm. (laughs) Hmm. And, and Jen, as a um, film student at UCLA, uh, you would know something about being a 25 year old virgin, correct?
2: Ugh. Uh, Owned. Ask Tina Fey. (laughs) Oh, right. (laughs) But yeah, as it turns out, the virgin is not Kelly; it's Taylor.
1: Yeah, that he's been setting this up this whole time is, is absolutely perfect. Always two kinda, steps ahead. Yeah, and you kind of get an inkling of that when they first, um, when Taylor and her crew like kind of inserts himself into you know the the house and the and the scene to try and stop things, but like you find out Kelly's like a huge slut, and it's it's there's a moment there where I think Taylor's like, "Hang on, something isn't right here." and it really comes and it all comes together in the hayloft where you find out she is the final girl. Yeah. So, um yeah, so Todd runs away um and then they hear someone outside the barn and they get ready to to you know to 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 just beat this guy. He comes in through the door and they whack him with a shovel and who is it? But Doc Halloran, <laughs> who showed up just when he said he would.
2: <laughs> yep. <laughs> Leslie's a clever guy.
0: Yeah.
1: Perhaps. Yeah. And so the um like her her other camera guy, he gets, you know, knocked aside. Um the like the the dude, like the the horny guy and the slut, like they both get killed in one way or another. So then it it is finally down to Leslie versus um versus Taylor. It's and- funny
2: the way the other crew guy gets um, disposed of. He's not killed. Um, But he's neutralized, which fits perfectly for the guy who apparently has been in love with Taylor this whole time, but hasn't had the sack to say anything.
1: Yeah. And
2: he, like, he faces Leslie very squarely and says, I love her. You're going to have to go through me. And Leslie just fucking bonks his head off a wall. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Bonk. No. Well. No, thanks. (laughs) So, yeah. So this
1: is... so after all the other like variables have been solved for, then we get back on track and it's, and it is Taylor who enters the tool shed as prophesized. Mm-hmm. She grabs an ax forgetting that he's um, like nerfed all the tools in there. So like, you know, nothing's going to actually hurt Leslie when she meets him, but like she goes to meet him in the orchard, which is the place that they established in the very beginning as like the important focus of, of the standoff. And, a detail that I love too about this, because you because I'd mentioned earlier about, you know, the final girl being kind of androgynous, a little masculine, a little feminine. I don't want to say that it was intentional, but I love that when Taylor takes off her sweater and it's just like her and her jeans and her top, that she's flat chested. Hmm. <laughs> I mean, it was just a detail oh, you know, that I yeah. noticed. Oh, yeah. I like, you know, if you picture like, you know, even the girl from um like high tension like she's you know she isn't like overtly feminine she's a little you know bit of actionist it's just something that i she's a sporty spice type (laughs) yes yes also my type um and
2: now you know keep in mind like that's not a hard and fast rule um as we know uh jamie lee curtis one of the prototypical final girls has an absolutely astounding rack
1: right yeah but i mean she also has that pixie haircut too Exactly. So, yeah, they kind of know, balance each other out, yeah. Yeah, so mm-hmm. it's a boy's haircut and an amazing rack. Like, I don't know. I've got the most confused <laughs> boner right now. <laughs> um, I
3: think it, uh, it's kind of interesting when they finally, um, when Taylor finally, like, disposes of um, Leslie. Yeah. Uh, she does it by crushing his head in an apple press. Right. Rather, th- rather than, like, stabbing him in with the, the all, any of the phallic implements that Leslie had... Um, had predicted would be the way to kill him.
1: Yeah. It's like, it has to be a thematic kind of killing because they do foreshadow the, the apple press, even like before, like when they're joking around before, like this one, you know, serious night when everything, you know, comes to its climax. Cause he's like, you know, I used to work here and, you know, making cider and, you know, and he even explains to Taylor, he's like, yeah you know, see what we got here, you know, we're crushing some apples. Do I need to explain symbolism of that? And she's like, please don't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But then, yeah, because it even gets back to this sort of, you know, masculine, feminine struggle and how he's like, well, in order for her to succeed, she has to, you know, unman me, basically, which is, you know, crushing his nut. There's a lot of Yannick
2: imagery
3: in this.
1: Yes.
2: (laughs) Well, I kind of interpret it as like, you know, they weren't going to go for like the 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 phallic reversal. It's more like, you know, um, she crushes his skull like he's the right. Yeah. So yeah, that's wow. how she neutralizes him.
1: Yeah, so still, like you know, whether it's your head or your balls getting crushed, like that is, <laughs> that is all like of a type.
3: It's because the brain oh, is it? the biggest sex organ of all. Oh, that's right.
2: Oh, damn, dude, you solved it. See, this is why we bring <laughs> I call Mike me on Joe Weeden
3: because I solve her.
2: <laughs> but yeah, See, and, I, t- I told you we needed to have Mike on. Yeah,
1: and also, like you know, Mike um, using the uh, the. The keyword Yannick as well. That's brought up in the movie, to great effect. I feel
3: that that is one of the the good the, the best jokes in this as well, other than the panty shots. Yeah, yeah.
1: right, right, yeah. And he's, he explains, you know, a lot of phallic imagery about weaponry and versus like, you know, her, uh, you know, emerging from the closet, you know, that being the womb where we're all innocent, and then, you know, going through the forest and that being, you know, a metaphor for the birth. Now a lot of Yannick imagery, and she's like, <laughs> "What do you mean Yannick?" And he's like,
2: "It's lady parts." <laughs> <laughs> it's a big pussy. Yeah. So. Oh no! Wait, that was her. Uh, her crew guy. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so.
1: Yeah. So she she uh, you know crushes his, his skull in the um in the apple press and uh and burns the place down and you know the other uh video guy lived Doc Halloran lived and you know Doc Halloran is he kind of gets the coda of it where he's like you know he's just a man. Where it's like, yeah, he dies, but it's like the legend and the story live on, and like that, I feel is the is like kind of he wins either way, because he becomes like a legend despite him dying. Mm. Mm-hmm. Also, or does he? Because I love their use of "Uh, Psycho Killer" by Talking Heads over the end <laughs> credits, of a um uh, of a corner just sort of wheeling out uh you know Leslie Vernon on the slab, and him just laying there the entire time. And you're like, I know it's coming. I know it's coming. <laughs> and
2: yeah, yeah, there's a there's a morgue worker like with his back yeah. turned, and uh, oh, at the very end he sits up.
1: Yeah, and it's just like oh, it is just a like you ever like hear the perfect joke and you know you're gonna screw up telling it like that's the way I feel describing this movie.
2: <laughs> yeah, but yeah,
1: I, yeah. But I would love to have a sequel for it just because. Like there are so many ways they can take it. Ways I can't even dream of. But I mean, even just to be like, make it about Taylor. Like, is she like the fucked up one now? Like is she like the copycat? I mean, does um does someone emulate Leslie now? Does he come back because he never died? Like who's pulling the strings now? Like I wanna know what else
2: happens in this in this universe. It's amazing. Is she going to let Todd smash now that she knows what a huge, drippy vagina he is? Right. And, and yeah, we got
1: to consider too, that like Taylor's had this whole character arc. She's a different woman now.
2: Yeah. She's gone through the crucible and yeah, you know, now, um, I mean, there's, she could be like, uh, um, God damn it. Jamie Lee Curtis's character in Halloween. uh, Um, Uh,
3: Laurie Strode.
2: Thank you. Laurie Strode in the asylum. And Halloween 2 Oh yeah um, Are they going to do something Completely off the rails like Halloween 3 Oh
0: shit yeah <laughs> <laughs>
3: Yeah the, So yeah, like, the Hall- <laughs> Behind the Mask the Rise of Leslie Vernon 2 And it's just uh, completely unrelated
2: <laughs> <laughs> Leslie's not even in this one <laughs> <laughs> They've turned him into a lifestyle brand mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So Leslie Vernon TM
1: yeah, so I've, I would love to see what happens with Taylor after this because I, you know, think that, because, because, yeah, when she emerges from the crucible, does she come out like damaged or, or something? Like what? Yeah, it's, it's, it's great characters and a great story. That's, it, I, I really love this movie. <laughs>
2: yes and this movie is currently available on Shudder, which is absolutely one of the best deals you can get in streaming these days it's only 5.99 a month um the selection on Shudder is very well curated yeah including stuff like veronica they know what they're doing um, <laughs> right. but you can watch this on Shudder, which we do recommend yeah um don't watch cabin in the woods
0: no.
1: Right, yeah, I don't know if we made that clear with our, like, 40 minutes digression just being like, <laughs> Oh, Joe Whedon, you fucking suck. God. Well, yeah, I mean, this is the thing. I mean, it's like,
3: Cabin of the Woods is like... Our audience is pretty oh,
2: savvy. No, Did go They ahead, know wait, a please. thing or two. I
3: was going <laughs> to say, like, um, I feel like, because when I watched this uh, afterwards, I was like, well, you know, I, I don't feel like watching this is going to, like, make you have new insights into slasher movies. It's not going to turn your you know the whole genre on its head uh but it's a it doesn't have to it is a fun and clever uh send up of the genre by people who obviously have a lot of love for it and it's not mm-hmm. like it does not feel the need to deconstruct it it does not feel like it needs to be the answer to horror mo- to slasher movies and i think that that's, yeah, big, that's it's, another it's, reason it's, why it works and it's not the
2: kind of Fan work that you watch and that makes you go, God, fandom is a fucking disease.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, exa- it's a it's a movie that like, I think it it um it's a uh, it's a movie that uh, is it's obviously made by fans, but they are giving you the audience what you need rather than what you want. And it
0: is <laughs> richer for it.
1: Yeah, for real. <laughs> So yeah, can't can't recommend this highly enough. I you know also you know for the a lot of the philosophy behind it, recommend you know men, women, and chainsaws. I recommend uh, offensive films, uh, which is is that by uh, Nikita Brotman. Um, yeah, like the more we'll link you, that. Yeah, the more you read about the, the psychological elements that go into horror, the more you can appreciate it. The better a movie like this is going to resonate with you. The more enriching it'll be. It's. It reminds me why I love horror movies.
2: Wait, Tim, you didn't mention what aspect of a tabletop role playing game this. <laughs> think
1: of. Uh, okay. Because at the the no, last no no no, scene, no 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 the last the, the, the last <laughs> scene where he discusses because you have different locations. You have the barn and the house like the basement and the bedroom. These are all locations where you need like a on event to play out, and you can't just like bounce between. Because the plot never gets going. You don't like You have to leave the house for the barn. You can't have characters stay in the the house all the time. You need to progress the story by moving them at different locations. Yes, I did notice that.
2: (laughs) There it is, folks.
1: Yeah.